on this episode of Hit the Deck. So the United States has done it, defeating the Soviet Union, the most improbable circumstance you could ever have imagined before these Olympics started. The final score, the USA 4, the Soviet Union 3. Basically, if you will, U.S. hockey was born when Team USA beat the Russians and then went on, I believe they beat Finland for the uh, the gold medal a couple days later after that. And, Orange, you glad we brought this segment back? You may want to reserve judgment. For a C-note, James, you can become gritty. That means you put... Some might consider that a good deal. Uh... All this and more coming up on this episode of Hit the Deck. Welcome to episode 163 of the Hit the Deck podcast, where we talk deck hockey, street hockey, ball hockey, it's hockey in sneakers, and it has, you know, you know the deal, it's been a week, I don't have to remind you that it's been a week since we did a podcast, I always do, you know, you can keep track of the time just as well as anybody, I'm sure, it's not like a week is something that's just going to get by you. Let's dispense with that it's been a week nonsense and jump right into who's talking to you. And so you know who's talking to you, I will jump right into tonight's starting lineup. And for tonight's starting lineup, in goal as ever, I am number 35, your American rhino, Gary McComiskey. And of course, my steadfast co-host... On defense, number four, I'm James Sajazi. How are you, James? Doing pretty good and pretty excited for the uh, podcast that we have in the week to come. How about yourself? Yeah, 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 sure. Happy Hockey Week in America, by the way. And to you too, sir. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Yeah. Yeah, we have a pretty pretty good podcast, uh, I think, lined up for you, and I think you'll enjoy it. But uh, we're, we're not quite there yet. We're still in the opening banter portion of the show. So uh, banter, banter, banter. How, how have you been, James? I've been okay. Unfortunately, yeah, during uh, Hockey Week in America, I wasn't able to play hockey, which is really upsetting. But at least we, yeah, I was able to watch hockey, which was cool. So, um, you know, again, NBC and NBCSN and uh, all the triple header games going on. On uh, Unfortunately, I had to work on President's Day too. But for all the other good Americans that had the three-day weekend, I'm happy for you. Uh, also, the outdoor game looked really fantastic too in uh, the U.S. Air Force Base. So that, that, that came off really cool. Well, you're one up on me, James. All I've been able to do is podcast about hockey. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's the beauty. You see that, uh, you know, Gary always yells at me for giving him too much credit, actually giving him any, all the credit he deserves, I should say. But uh, yeah, we do the podcast as, as he says once a week. And then I just go about my business and the American Rhino has to actually edit it and put it up there and let everybody hear it. So you have had your hands full the last few weeks and we appreciate it. Yeah, it's all part of the gig, James. It's no less than hundreds, probably thousands of other podcasters do. There are other podcasts, really? I mean, you know, not about uh, not about ball hockey, at least not <laughs> any ones that, that matter. But, you know, yeah, sure. There are plenty of other podcasts. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I Although I will that. say it, it's it's not escaped my attention that many of them hire engineers to record and edit their podcasts for them. Lazy. 
Sorry. I'm sorry. I have a little, my daughter's been sick. I, I think I may be having a little, uh, you know, <clears throat> anyway, sorry. Sorry about that. No, to me, that sounds like there's a wee bit of cheating. Indeed. <laughs> Otherwise, how have you been? I've been all right. Uh, like I said, my daughter, ha- <laughs> my daughter legitimately has been sick a couple of times in the last couple of weeks. So that's unfortunate, but she seems to be on the mend now. Um, otherwise, you know, business, just, I was going to say business as usual. That's something my former director at work used to say all the time, BAU, which was the kind of corporate buzz speak that really grinds my gears. So mm. I apologize for breaking it out here, but, uh, it's, I guess it's so ingrained at me at this point It's you know, uh, same old, same old, I guess is the layman's way of saying it. There you go. <laughs> At least the NHL's been pretty busy too, and um, you know, particularly with the trade deadline looming. Gary and I are big Ranger fans, and they were kind of putting a monkey wrench into their plans because all of a sudden they were getting right back into the thick of things. The Islanders have been consistently great all year, and they're actually fighting for top spots in their division and in our division. Speaking of uh, Rangers and Islanders and stuff like that too, so and, and Devils, so that's been pretty exciting. Yeah, speaking of the Islanders, this is neither here nor there, but their arena is starting to take shape over at Belmont, which is not that far from my house. And so I have seen it somewhat recently. One thing, again, apropos of nothing, but one thing that I noticed that stood out to me more than anything else, it's really close to the road. Like, you know, there's, it's not recessed back in a, a part in the middle of a parking lot, like Nassau Coliseum or anything. It butts right up against the roadway, so that's surprising to me. I'm just curious, is that on the Bell Parkway side, or yeah, it, you, it's actually just right off the street? Uh, Cross Island is actually the go. highway that goes right next to where it is, but yeah, it's right up next to the street. I mean, it's you know not like the gate isn't on the sidewalk, right. or at least it doesn't look like it will be. It's recessed a little bit, but it's a lot closer to the sidewalk than I was prepared to have been the case. Yeah, that is interesting, because usually, at least in the New York area, we visited other cities in the past and things like that. But uh, in New York, yeah, I didn't know if that was a law or whatever the case is, but that's pretty interesting. Well, it is kind of sandwiched in against the racetrack, so I guess they had limited space in which to work. So... I suppose they're using what they have. It's also going to be part of a larger, like, mall complex, I think. The same kind of thing that the Wilpons tried to finagle for City <laughs> Field and failed, thankfully, uh, if you ask me. But, yeah, so it's going to be part of a shopping center complex. So it's possible that that street side of it is going to be the shopping side. I'm not sure. It hasn't really taken full shape yet. Right now, it's just kind of a quarter circular series of girders that uh you know you can see would eventually form an arena but not yet so i really i can't say okay well that's exciting nonetheless it's fun to see that come to fruition and deservedly so for the islanders especially after all the nonsense that they went through because that was their original plan for the renovation of uh, nassau coliseum and it looked really fantastic and it made total sense and it was going to be a mall space and i think condos and all that it was going to be like its own little city the lighthouse what- project i believe is what you're referring to right thank you and then for whatever reason they decided to torpedo that and then the islanders found themselves in brooklyn and mm-hmm. i apologize among my borough for uh, dropping the ball, so to speak, on that. So this is really cool. Uh, for the Islander fans out there, I'm, I'm sure that they're all excited for this. And 
this is cool to see before your very eyes, too, as it uh, develops. Speaking of Brooklyn, James, remind me to talk to you off air about potentially going to see Cyclones games this year. Sure. All right. I have some thoughts, but it's not something I want to bog down the podcast with. So I figure if I put it out there publicly, one of us will have to remember to talk about it. Okay, fair enough. All right. Thank you. But uh, anything else going on that's worth talking about here? Uh, Nothing that I could think of offhand. It's just like when we're on the phone. I always have a thousand things to talk about and then end up speaking to whomever on the phone and I don't remember a single thing. Yeah. Tragically, I am afflicted with the same condition (laughs) very frequently. But uh, that's not something that we need to worry about here and now. Is there anything else that's worth talking about hockey-wise that we could, say, do a podcast about? Oh, sure. Well, I'm intrigued. Okay. So, well, you know what this means, James. This means that I have to put this part of the podcast solely on your shoulders and ask you, would you mind terribly telling us what is on deck for this podcast? I would be happy to. Thank you so kindly. 40 years of greatness. It just simply cannot, quote unquote, grow old. It can be celebrated every February 22nd and 24th, though, along with President Washington's and my grandma's birthday, 222, and my mom's, George Harrison's, George Thorogood's, and uh, Emily DiDonato's birthday, 224. The greatest sports victories ever have anniversaries on those days. This year, the miracle turns 40, and we are partying at HTD like it's 1980. And that's what's on deck. Thank you, James. You're welcome, sir. You know what this means, James. What? This year, I turned 40. It's cool, man. Uh, I I did it two years ago. I hope you have much better luck than I do or had, but it's it's awesome. At least you have excellent company to turn 40 with. Uh, Yeah, I suppose that's true. My wife and daughter, I assume, is who you were referring to and not, uh, I don't know, the random New Yorkers <laughs> that I share the subway and the bus with every day. No, definitely your, your, your lovely family and uh, obviously the 1980 greatness of the gold-winning Olympic team. Oh, yeah, of course, them. That's, <laughs> that's right. That's what we're talking about on the podcast. This, yeah. this is not all about me. Contrary to popular opinion, this is not all about me. But yeah, I mean, you know, you weren't even born yet when uh, Team USA pulled off these two miraculous victories. And uh, I wasn't even two years old at that time during February of 1980. But still, that doesn't mean what Coach Herb Brooks and his incredible staff and team pulled off didn't have a lasting impact on us personally. I mean, we do have a podcast about hockey, so that has a little ramification from that too. And and personally also, uh, being in New York, that. you know, my brother grew up playing ball hockey and, and street hockey, and then eventually I got into it as well. And then fast forward with uh, the American Rhino and I being in leagues together and participating in uh, tournaments together in ball hockey and even trying out uh, ice hockey and, and ice skating and all that stuff. So um, really, basically, if you will, U.S. hockey was born when Team USA beat the Russians and then went on. I believe they beat Finland for the, uh, the gold medal a couple of days later after that. James, you realize what this means? I am a jinx. How's that? Well, the U.S. men's hockey team won gold in 1980, and then I was born a few months later, and they haven't done it since. Clearly, I am a jinx. 
Oh, not at all. The American Rhino? No, no, no. The juniors, they've done fine. Yeah, well. The, the, the ladies have done fine. Indeed, they have. So you are definitely not the one to blame for that at all. And, uh, you know, Olympics past coming against Canada when they had their renaissance, uh, that, that's nothing to, to be ashamed of. If you're going to lose to a team, may it be Canada because, quote unquote, it's their sport. But um, that, 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 no, it's definitely not you. It's don't worry about it. <laughs> well, I don't uh, agree to disagree. As a sports fan, I am, of course, conditioned to think that the fortunes of my team rest solely on my shoulders. You know, it doesn't have to make sense. It's just how superstitious we are. It's true. And uh, we, we've brought that up many times on this podcast. And you can't help but talk about superstition when you're talking about sports, too. And uh, it, it always happens. And it's really uncanny how you say something. And it doesn't matter. You could be at the game. You can be talking to your friend. Somebody could be passing by and just make a comment. And then that horrible thing that was mentioned or thought of, it happens. Like on the next pitch or the next shift or whatever sport you're watching. So there is some sort of cosmic craziness that, that comes across with sports. And that's the thing about being a fan too, is that we're so helpless. We're just sitting there watching and we can't do anything to help. And that way uh, the superstition rears its ugly head. Sure. And in fact, we've done an entire podcast segment talking about superstitions in sports. And uh, I believe that was one of our very first road trip segments and I think it was the same one that birthed uh, Skeletorial. <laughs> so, you know, we have that to fall back on. Yeah, that was episode 13, as a matter of fact. Indeed. Yeah. So Fun times. Cool. Absolutely, absolutely. But, uh, but getting back to the, the 1980 team, uh, really, uh, it, no kidding, it, it doesn't get old. It, it just cannot get old because of the importance and significance of not only the game itself, but... If you go back, and, and we've talked about this in the past too, if you youngsters out there don't know what we're talking about, please do yourselves huge favors. Uh, you could go check it out on YouTube or maybe even ask mommy and daddy because uh, there, there is some still families out there that uh, old-fashioned table talk at the dinner table, you know, so I'm sure they wouldn't hesitate for a second to tell you the greatness of their experiences watching the 1980 hockey team do their thing. But, uh, you know, documentaries have been done. Uh, that movie Miracle came out in 2004, which was pretty good. It, it was a great movie great on movie. it. Yeah. It, well, yeah. Um, what I was going to say was it was pretty good at um, uh, keeping the history part of it. There, there were some exaggerations and typical Hollywood stuff that, that uh, brush over things and make it a little bit more dramatic than it really was. But that's the whole thing. It was, it was so dramatic anyway, that there wasn't much that even Disney couldn't do their typical uh, crazy painting it with their broad, uh, beautiful, everybody, the good guy always wins type of uh, brush, which I wish real life were like that because the good guy should win. But anyway, not only just for, for the game itself, but you're talking about uh, the height of the Cold War, USA versus Russia, the late 70s, early 80s, the America wasn't the great, well, I mean, people didn't feel the pride in the country as they should have. And uh, there was gas problems and then uh, international issues and things of that nature. So it was just really a low point for the USA itself. And then to face off against Russia, the, the symbolism of the whole thing, you know, the, if, if you will, I'm going to say the good guys versus the bad guys, you know, the red, white and blue versus the red and white. 
the underdogs, the amateurs, you know, college kids going up against professionals. Because Team Russia beat everybody, including Canadians. Uh, including so- Team USA in an exhibition. Absolutely right. Yeah, right before the uh, Olympics started. And uh, also, too, that uh, there was a summit series in 1972, but the Russians had dominated for so long. And the team was basically together for multiple Olympics. And the only thing Team USA had going for it was a mad genius of a coach and the fact that it was in Lake Placid in the United States. Other than that, and again, nobody picked the U.S. to even maybe, maybe they would have been a bronze if that. But uh, for for the the miracle, and that's why it's referred to as a miracle that it came out to be, it's just, I don't know, any hockey fan, any sports fan, you just, especially an American, obviously an American, you you just got to talk about it. And and you got to talk about it with a smile and enthusiasm. And as we said before, you know, I was not even two years old yet, but uh, my parents have talked about it. And my brother, they remember watching it and the anticipation and the symbolism and the excitement and all that great stuff. So uh, I've seen footage of the games themselves and the fact that, yes, that that's true, that my grandma's birthday is 222 and my mom's birthday is 224. So we have all those things. So personally for me, that that's an extra added bonus on the excitement too, to go along with everything else. The 22nd and the 24th being the Russia game and the gold medal game? Yes, sir. Okay. And of course, many people forget that the Russia game was not the gold medal game. Beating the Russians did not win that team the gold medal. They won them the fact that they had just beaten a team that nobody had ever beaten, basically. The gold medal game got played against Finland a couple of days later, which the U.S. then went on to win as well. But uh, people kind of conflate that in their memory and remember it as the U.S. beating Russia for the gold. Exactly right. And that's one of the things that I appreciated from the movie Miracle that kind of because, again, at the time, you know, maybe you had a VHS tape of it or something like that. But there wasn't YouTube and Instagram and all this other crazy stuff that we have nowadays. And so it was a lot of memory. But yes, that's true. Again, it's it's vivid for my memory because of of the family involved and all that stuff with that uh, tie-in, if you will. But uh, it's true. A lot of people just assumed that once they beat Russia, it was like, okay, they, they deserve the gold anyway, so why not kill two birds with one stone? I, I, I wonder if they would have been remembered as fondly if they had lost that game to Finland. I mean, obviously they wouldn't be the gold medal winners, but they still did slay that beast in Russia. So I have to think it would have been something. It would have been a big deal, even if it wasn't, you know, the, the gold medal. You're right. And I'm glad you bring, I'm glad that they did win the gold medal. (laughs) Don't, don't get me wrong. (laughs) I'm just saying I, you know, if they hadn't, I still think it would have been remembered as something special. Sorry, please continue. No, you're a hundred percent right. I'm, I'm sorry. I get a little bit too enthusiastic talking about this stuff. Uh, the 1980 team, um, two things. One, There was an excellent, excellent, excellent documentary done by HBO a few years ago, which I believe was might have been the 20th anniversary at the time. And that I learned so much for personally. And I highly recommend that we talked about that in in podcast past too. Um, So Mike Arruzzioni, of course, the famed team captain of the uh, 80 team. Mike Arruzzioni went through Massachusetts. Who do you play for? 
play for the United States of America. Told the story himself, talking about that very thing, that when they beat Russia, it was fantastic, but they were actually losing to Finland after at least two, one or two periods. They were down. And uh, so Coach Brooks goes into the locker room, and this is Mike Ruzioni tells this story much better than I ever could. And uh, Coach Brooks goes into the locker room, he storms in, looks them all in the eye, and says, if you lose this game, you're going to take it to your blanking graves. Turns around, goes to leave the, the room, turns around once again, looks them all in the eye again, yells, you're effing graves, and walks out. And then Ruzioni said, there's no way. After that, we just scored a couple of goals took a 4-2 to two lead and, and just rolled over Finland. And another quick story, too, was from um, the very famous broadcaster that did such a perfect job of calling the play-by-play. And, of course, his words will live forever, and we'll, we'll get into that in a minute as well. Uh, Al Michaels, he recently was interviewed. The NHL Network did something really cool where they showed the movie Miracle and interviewed Mr. Michaels in between of his personal remembrances of the great event. And he told, the, he told the same story that Aruzioni said, and that was his point. He said, yeah, it would have been fantastic that they beat the Russians. That would have stood on its own. But then he would have said, uh, but they didn't win the gold, you know, blah, blah, blah. But there's no asterisk. There's no but. They did it. And that's that. Yeah. It's, you know, it really is something to make you proud as an American. Yeah. And even, too, uh, again, from that documentary that HBO did, that I think at the closing of the decade or something of, of of uh, 1980 through 89, uh, they, and I think even going into the millennium too, that they ranked with the greatest sports moments ever that Sports Illustrated had, or maybe it was their anniversary too, Sports Illustrated. And it was pretty recently that uh, after 1980, they labeled that the, uh, the, the Team USA beating the Russians and, and winning gold as the greatest, I think it was specifically just beating the Russians, the greatest moment in, uh, in sports history, period. I mean, you know, talk about underdogs. It's, uh, I can't argue with that. Like, you know, it's David and Goliath got nothing on the USA and the Russians. Like that, it was, I mean, it sounds like a Disney movie. It it ultimately was a Disney movie, but <laughs> you can't, like, you can't make this stuff up. You're a ragtag group of amateur college kids going out and beating the you know the soviet juggernaut in the olympics like it's it's just uh, you can't write this stuff no and not only that and i forgot to mention too that the russians not only beat the nhl all-stars that year i think too going into the olympics they humiliated they embarrassed the nhl all-stars not just you know some guys with experience i mean the best of the best just that really just puts it into perspective as well that uh the genius of Coach Brooks. I'm looking for the best players, Craig. I'm looking for the right ones. And it's so sad that he had to pass away. And ironically, uh, he passed away during the filming of the movie Miracle. And uh, that, that, that tears me up every time at the very end of it, where they show before the credits roll that uh, Coach Brooks, uh, he didn't see the movie, but he lived it. And that's just one of the most touching things I've ever experienced in um, in Hollywood and uh, so sad, but his legacy, it's just mad genius, absolute genius. Everything he did, the, the team that he picked, he knew psychologically they, they could do it. Uh, Jim Craig, the goalie of goalies, man. I mean, I hope he gets more credit 
than he's given because without him, there's no way they beat the Russians and there's no way they win the gold. He was phenomenal. So I, I apologize for stepping in your crease here, American Rhino, but... No, go ahead. Boy, oh boy. I mean, just real quick, going into that, when Michael Ruzioni scored the uh, go-ahead goal, which was the winning goal against Russia, there was 10 minutes left to the third period. Any hockey fan, any hockey player knows that's an eternity. <laughs> and they captured that so well in the documentary too, the HBO documentary. Could have been worse, James. It could have been a two-goal lead. Right. You're right. Yes. <laughs> Spoken like a true goalie, my friend. Very well said. And, and Jim Craig just really stood on his head. He, he just faced every crazy shot, crazy angle shot. Easily, any of those shots could have gone in for a goal and just would have been completely devastating. But the physical shape that these guys were in, and, and Coach Brooks knew that too, that's why they won. Because they were psychologically ready, they were you know, mentally ready, they were physically ready. Because that's the difference. The, the Russian team, these professional players, would just outskate and outmuscle everybody. Team USA, they weren't going to be outskated or outmuscled. They, they threw their game back in their faces. Again, how Coach Brooks saw that, figured it out, and executed it just beyond belief. Yeah, I mean, they outworked the Russians. That, that's, yeah. you know, they, <laughs> in the movie, there's the famous uh, kind of clip of Kurt Russell as Herb Brooks walking up and down the bench, reminding them, play your game, boys, play your game. They made the Russians play their game instead of just kind of trying to play catch up all game. They grounded out and they got the win. Yeah, and they earned it. I kind of little, I, I resent the, the term miracle a little bit because even, you know, obviously Gary and I, we've said this in the past, we're, we're huge Mets fans too. And they referred to the 69 Mets as a miracle Mets. And that's all cute. And there, there is some truth to that. And the same thing for the U.S. hockey team. But both of those instances, they proved that they were good enough to win. And nothing was going to stop them, either team. So again, we'll, we'll get back to the, to, to the uh, specifically the 1980. Uh, hockey team, but uh, that story just summed it up too with, with the Ruzioni talking about Coach Brooks with the Finland gold medal game on the line. Uh, they just, they, they were unbeatable. They really were. Um, so it, it was just, it had to, it had to be. I mean, it was just so happy and, and so wonderful that it did all work out, but you know, they, they earned it and, and that's why they were the best of the world, Team USA. Another thing, too, that they bring up, too, that Al Michaels has talked about in that HBO special is that this probably actually it cannot happen again unless they change the rules. Because That's true now, you know, for a while there for in the Olympics, there were professionals playing and, you know, the NHL would have to shut down every couple of years during the, uh, the Winter Olympics because they were sending all of their players from their countries to play for their respective, uh, you know, crests of the places where they grew up with. And, you know, 1980, obviously that was not the case. And uh, one of my favorite quotes from that special too, the uh, documentary of, of HBO was um, they did interview some of the Russian players and that's what they were saying. Like uh, Russia was stunned when they heard the news. It's like, how can you lose to a bunch of students? You know, were you drunk? <laughs> what, what happened? Well, I mean, you know, there's, yes, obviously they did kind of come out of nowhere from a from from that standpoint but also you have to understand that the soviet propaganda machine led their entire country to believe that these guys were unbeatable and and to their credit they were by and large but 
they probably promoted them as, you know, the the larger than life supermen that couldn't possibly be beaten. And for them to lose to a group of, you know, college kids, effectively, I'm sure that was a huge blow to their their national ego. So I'm sure that that aspect of it was kind of played up a little bit just because of the expectations that they had set for themselves. Yeah, sure. And boy, oh boy. I mean, as we were saying before, they wanted to go to the U.S. and they wanted to rub our faces. Yes, I'm saying are. They wanted to rub our faces in it. And they just absolutely destroyed everybody else that they played in the Olympics, too. I think something like uh, they outscored the opposition in, what did they play, like five games or so before they faced off the against the U.S.? They scored something like 57 goals and right, gave up, <laughs> including... That's they, not they, bad. No, <laughs> they, including Canada, they, they rolled over, too. <laughs> I don't know what the score of that game was offhand, but, yeah, they, they were just... Unbelievable. It was the juggernaut, as you said, and Team USA was just that immovable object that said, mm, not this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, like Coach Brooks said, at least in the movie, I mean, there's there's no locker room footage that I know of from, from the actual Coach Brooks, but in the movie, you know, he says, If we played them ten times, they might win nine, but not this game. Not tonight. Exactly. I do think if, uh, and again, forgive me if I'm mixing things up too, because, yes, the movie was really, really good. I think that was a direct quote, if I'm not mistaken, which was in the HBO special mm -hmm. um, and other, other specials on it, too. But um, either way, it sounds like something he would have said, too. Oh, that was the other thing, too, which I liked. <laughs> oh, by the way, but before I get into the, the documentary again, uh, Captain sure. Mike Ruzioni just uh, released a brand new book entitled The Making of a Miracle, The Untold Story of the Captain of the 1980 Gold Medal Winning U.S. Olympic Hockey Team, which is available now. Definitely a book that uh, I want to get my hands on and read. Mm. Um, so I'm sure there's a bunch more great anecdotes about uh, the experience in that coming from the captain himself. But they actually, speaking of books, they, they kept a little notebook of uh, Brooksisms because Coach Brooks had a bunch of funny expressions and weird way of conveying his med scientist like brain into words and they wrote them all down and things like that uh, that's another thing huh. that i love from that that special too which i don't think that made it in the movie but that quote reminded me of uh of some of the things that he did say and um sure. like one of them being that uh you know so and so you're playing horrible you're getting worse and worse every day and you're playing like it's next week you know stuff like that it's so. <laughs> <laughs> great yeah unbelievable how he just knew how to push the players and um, not go too far because that's the only way that they could have been ready to handle team Russia and, and beat them. Well, if that's what it took, then, you know, it, sometimes, sometimes the stars align and, you know, exactly the right mix comes together and creates something magical. Yeah. So the NHL appreciates it too. As a matter of fact, the Blackhawks have had a couple of special celebrations for the 1980 team. One night, it was happened to be my niece's birthday on uh, February 7th this year. They had uh, ceremonial puck drop and all that cool stuff. And then even at the recording of this podcast this week, we'll just say they uh, had another ceremony too. So that that's really cool that they appreciate that because some of the players did end up, uh, some, some of the, t the players on uh, the 1980 team played for the Blackhawks as well. But uh, talk about NHL quality and, and being on top of the world. Nobody, and I do mean nobody, can ever 
match what Ken Morrow did. And that was, he was a very great defenseman for Team USA, won gold with that team. And then he went on to win four Stanley Cups in a row with the New York Islanders. And he not only did that, but was the first and only player to win, uh, or at least the first player to win a gold medal that year, and then a Stanley Cup the same year. So that's just absolutely remarkable. Well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I mean, hey. you know, if you're into that sort of thing. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, you know, our, our rivalry showing there too, our Ranger fans. But, you know, <laughs> that, that's just, that, that's just um, you know, come on, man. That, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Got to got to tap the stick where it's necessary. And that's just phenomenal. I mean, what are you going to do with all those rings anyway? (laughs) Plus, you got that gold medal, too. I only have so many fingers. Like, come on. At some point, it just gets gaudy. Like, (laughs) Do you really need? Come on. You're just showing off at that point. Oh, God bless. (laughs) So fast forward to this year Uh, in Las Vegas. There's going to be a team reunion for the 1980 team. And that's going to be on the 21st and 22nd. That's a Friday and Saturday this year. All but two players are uh, going to make it, or at least are scheduled to be there. Um, unfortunately, obviously, Coach Brooks cannot because he passed away in 2003. Bob Suter, unfortunately, passed away in 2014. And uh, Mark Pavlich is actually suffering from mental issues, so he can't be there either. But uh, other than that, all the other players are still alive and well, and they will be together. I believe this is the first time that they're all going to be together as a whole team since, unfortunately, the uh, the passing of uh, Coach Brooks. So it's very rare that all these guys can get together. I believe they did back in 2002 for the Olympics, um, and that was the last time that, uh, that that had happened. And that was the full whole team, uh, the first time they were together since 1980, all together. It sounds easier than it is, but, you know, people move and uh, you have family issues and work things to commit to and all that. So pretty extraordinary and i'm glad to hear that um because i'm sure that these guys probably feel like brothers for the rest of their lives after what they've been through and accomplished oh i'm sure but you know to your point people people move people i I mean these guys came from all different parts of the country you know it's not like they all grew up in the same neighborhood together so they after the olympics they dispersed back to wherever they were and you know, life goes on. Like you said, the people have jobs, people have other responsibilities, you know, now with how connected we are as, as a culture with, you know, texts and FaceTime and Skype and all that, I'm sure it's easier for them to keep in touch, but to actually get together, I'm sure is not easy at all. So the fact that something like this anniversary can spark that is, is great. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's probably one of the benefits of the NHL being in Las Vegas, too. That was probably something they didn't even foresee, that the Golden Knights would be able to make that happen uh, in in one way or another. Because um, we'll get into the the weekend in a minute, what they have scheduled for it. And it sounds really exciting. But that's another point that I'm glad you brought up, too, which I forgot to mention, which which Coach Brooks' uh, genius is that he was a very, very, very successful college coach. And he did have the uh, experience in the Olympics, too. Unfortunately, I believe it was the 1960 Olympics. He made the team, the the hockey team, Team USA. Coach Brooks did. And he was cut at the last minute. I mean, he was on the roster for so long that he's in the team picture. And Mm. uh, 1960 USA team won the gold medal. And that was the last time Team USA had won the gold since 
1980. So he remembered that. Also, too, one thing that he accomplished with his experience as being a great college coach is that, as, as you said before, all of the players were from either Massachusetts, Minneapolis, Wisconsin, and uh, Michigan. Now, we've said that in the past on, on, the, on this podcast, is that those are all hotbeds, hockey hotbeds in the United States. More importantly, huge rivalries because of those passions for hockey. And those are all the places where the colleges and the players and all that stuff, they want to beat each other because they want to be the best. So to overcome all of that to begin with, to make that roster was uh, a miracle in itself. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, sure. Those rivalries don't dissipate easily. You know, when you're used to seeing somebody on the other side of the ice as a rival, then I imagine embracing them as somebody that you'll go to war with isn't the easiest thing. But, you know, I think eventually you have to recognize that you're serving a common goal and that, you you know, you are a team and you have to have each other's backs. So once that hump is able to be uh, vaulted, uh, it's a little dramatic, but once you're able to get past that, I think, you know, the, the gelling is, is natural. True, true. And uh, yeah, we, we've said that too in the past that um, when you're, but I mean, gosh, if, uh, I can imagine what the pressure would be like to be in a tournament like the, uh, the Olympics in, in such a brief time you have, I mean, you have like a year or so to get the team together and, and do that and, and figure mm. it all out and kind of practice a little bit. But once you cut that down to the 20 man roster or whatever it is to go play, uh, and then they throw you to the dogs, you know, it's baptism by fire. You got to know how to pass and, and work well with your teammates and whatever else goes into it. And that, to do that in such a brief time, that's something as a sports fan, I admire so, so much. Sure. And one bad game could be your tournament. So you have to be, not only do you have to be on top of your game and, you know, jump into that pool with both feet and swim from go. You know, you have to be at the top of your game at all times. Yeah, there's no room for error whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So there are also, as we said before, the NHL Network will have special airings of Miracle, the, the 2004 movie with Al Michaels. And that, that's really fascinating and very enjoyable. So if you have the NHL Network, definitely check that out. And if you don't have the NHL Network or can't catch those airings, it is also available on Disney+. Plus. Ah, nice. Very cool. Mm-hmm. And also, too, NBC Sports Network, their cable channel, will air a special during the week leading up to uh, the 22nd that uh, will be known as the Miracle on Ice. So I'm at the recording of this podcast, um, looking forward to seeing that or hopefully uh, catching that. I'm sure it'll probably be repeated, but I'm curious to see if that's going to be kind of like that uh, HBO documentary that I love so much that did such a great job of capturing the uh, essence of the unbelievable accomplishment of the 1980 team. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine. Uh, that's something that I will try and catch as well. So, speaking of which, special events going on this year, the uh, meeting in Las Vegas that will be taking place, or if you're listening to this podcast afterwards, took place from February 21st through the 22nd, is known as Relive the Miracle. Mm. And uh, yeah, so th for the 35th anniversary, they did something special too celebrating the uh, the 1980 team and that was in Lake Placid 
and there were about 10,000 people that showed up for that. So they're expecting around 12,000 people to uh, check out what's going on for the Relive the Miracle for the 40th anniversary of the 1980 team. And uh, among other things that they have going on, obviously Michael Ruzioni is going to be there, Jim Craig and, uh, and all of their teammates, most of them with the exception of just a couple, unfortunately. So they will have a two-hour event. It's called the Brooklyn Bowl. So um, I'm, I don't know if uh, this is in Las Vegas again. Um, so I guess they have a bowling alley named the, the, the Brooklyn Bowl over there in the uh, facility on February 21st. And uh, so the team's going to be there and, and, and Vegas Golden Ice season ticket holders are going to be able to go to that event. And that sold out in 16 minutes. <laughs> That's well, how, yeah. You know, I mean, it's, I'm not surprised. Are you surprised? No. I'm surprised it took that long, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that's not surprising at all. And then on Saturday, the 22nd, the actual anniversary when they beat the Russians, the team will be on stage and they'll have interactive displays of video, audio, and memorabilia. Also, they say never-before-seen components from the uh, Olympic Games of 1980 with that team. So that sounds extremely exciting. And hopefully, as uh, we were saying before, with Instagram and TikTok or whatever else, you got out there that maybe uh, people will be able to share that and we'll see it and live vicariously through that because that, that sounds pretty exciting. What I have learned from this podcast is that James doesn't have a super strong handle on social media. Not at all. Okay. <laughs> I'm I old. Mean, I guess they could put some of this stuff on TikTok, but I don't think that's typically what it's used for. No. The only reason why I brought that up was my niece mentioned it and I was like, what? huh? What are you talking about? Which many, many things my niece fills me in on. Mm -hmm. On Friday, my daughter's school sent home uh, a note saying that parents should discourage their children from using TikTok. Ah, one of those. Okay, gotcha. Mm -hmm. Anyway, <laughs> so maybe they could stick to Facebook and Twitter and the Instagrams or whatever. <laughs> mm -hmm. The snaps and grams and whatnot. Yes, thank you, sir. <laughs> As we said, the American Rhino is the brains behind this uh, podcast and, and does all the editing and, and good stuff with that. but. Uh, anyhow, so they, they're also trying to differentiate between the 2015 special anniversary and, and this, the 40th anniversary. So uh, this time, Craig Patrick, the assistant coach, is going to be there. He was not there in uh, Lake Placid in 2015. So that's a, le a little added bonus, which is pretty cool. And they also said that there are going to be some NHLers and other celebrities involved. They aren't announcing the specific names, but they do say that they are substantial. That's pretty cool. Uh, Lord knows, uh, again, how many players saw that in the U.S. and clicked in their head and said, I'm going to be a hockey player when I grow up. Oh, yeah. It was, a, it was huge for American hockey. It was, it was a boon. So it wouldn't surprise me at all to find out that there were some American-born hockey stars of the last 40 years that, you know, wanted to be a part of this thing. Absolutely. So I'm thinking that probably some of those guys will be there over the weekend to celebrate the uh, 1980 team. You're Mike's Richter, you're Brian's Leach, you're, uh, you're Pat's LaFontaine. <laughs> it's, yeah, gosh, wow. That, that, that's, oh boy, that's talent. <laughs> Plus a whole bunch of other players that didn't play for the Rangers that I'm not thinking <laughs> of at the moment. Oh yeah, you know what? That that's so funny. I was thinking Lafontaine on the Islanders. I forgot that he was uh, he made a stop in in Broadway. Yeah, you're right. I remember him from NHL '94. <laughs> oh boy, yeah, you know, EA definitely uh, made out from that too. 
because um well the first uh the, at least the i had genesis sega genesis so mm. my recollection of the first uh, nhl ea game was like 91 maybe 9091 ah. so uh, that wasn't too far removed from the the 1980 team either sure and then going on back to the events of uh, the weekend in, in las vegas obviously the golden knights are going to have a uh, special presentation that night at the t-mobile arena for the miracle on ice team uh i mean i'm not in las vegas but it's something like this kind of makes me wish i was yeah me too especially if they brought back that awesome star trek uh stuff that they had <laughs> i think that's <laughs> that ship has sailed or warped uh, away james that's just a crying shame man anyway <laughs> But if you're hankering for some Star Trek fix, why don't you check out Vintage Picard, a brand new podcast all about Star Trek Picard, the new series on CBS All Access. That's Vintage Picard from the makers of Hit the Deck. <laughs> very nice. There was a very interesting article, too, to, uh, to bring all this full circle, the 1980 celebration. Phil Rosenthal uh, wrote an article in, in the Chicago Tribune that he recently posted, and he interviewed Al Michaels and uh, Michael Ruzioni, and those two men share some of their great memories of the events that uh, happened in Lake Placid back in 1980. And uh, Mr. Rosenthal wrote the article that uh, six things that Al Michaels and Michael Ruzioni remember that you might not. Obviously, some of us weren't born at that time, so we couldn't remember. But for those of you that were born and saw this happen, here are some pretty interesting facts that I love and appreciate. Fact number one. Fact was... number one. <laughs> Thank you. Number one. Yes, very good. Al, <laughs> Al Michaels. <laughs> got the call of doing hockey and this was on abc at the time only because he had called one previous hockey game in his illustrious career at that time al michaels one of the greatest sports broadcasters of all time um and, and he was quoted during in, in this article as saying that uh, abc had the mount rushmore of announcers in sports at the time including howard cosell and jim mckay and uh, frank gifford so the only reason why that michaels got the nod was he knew a little bit about hockey and he had actually called a hockey game one more um, than anybody else had called exactly right <laughs> so james there's hope for us yet yes yes all right cool thank you sir <laughs> talk about a miracle but um al michaels grew up he, he's a brooklyn guy and his dad would take him to madison square garden so he remembers watching the rangers and growing up being a hockey fan there you um, go and as he said he he knew what icing and offsides were <laughs> That's that's important. Th those are pretty key calls in, in hockey. So, you know, if you can identify icing and offsides, you're off to a great start. Yeah. And again, this is Al Michaels being very humble and, and a little bit tongue in cheek, too. But he said you didn't need to know more than that uh, other than icing and an offside and just do rudimentary play by play. And uh, at the time, you know, hockey wasn't really seen as drawing a, a huge audience. And uh, we'll get to the, another interesting fact, too, about when the game was played and when they broadcast it, too, that, uh, you know, obviously you had the hotbeds in Massachusetts and, and um, you know, Minneapolis and things like that. But in terms of the whole country, you know, hockey wasn't that 
big considering compared to like baseball and, and other big sports. Uh, and that's what the uh, studio heads felt about covering hockey. And um, so very humbly, that's why Al Michaels, who ended up, you know, talk about um, being at the right place at the right time, got to do the hockey play-by-play during the Olympics. Fact number two. Fact number two. Now, this fact is not number two. No, you're absolutely right. (laughs) According to this article, as memorable as the Do You Believe in Miracles call was, Michael Ruzioni preferred Al Michaels' less-remembered capper on the gold medal victory over Finland. Now, uh, this is according to uh, the captain himself. Uh, He said that he appreciated how Al Michaels captured that gold medal winning game that he said, This impossible dream comes true! And so Aruzioni appreciated that, how it was really true. And and what you were saying before, American Rhino, had they not completed the task of winning the gold medal, uh, beating Russia would have just been like, yeah, it was great, but... I don't know. I mean... It, it it's fine, and I'm not going to impugn Mike Ruzioni or Al Michaels, but this impossible dream comes true is a little cute for my taste. Fair enough, fair enough. Fact number three. Fact number three. <laughs> this is a good one. Well, they're all good. But ABC tried to move the game to a later time slot. Now, I do remember this from my parents telling me this story. And again, from that great HBO special, they, they uh, revisited that. And I believe in Miracle, too, I think that they, they, they address that as well, because it's one of the most incredible facts ever, um, and just something else that, that adds to the majesticness of this whole experience and event. But uh, ABC, again, because hockey wasn't that popular at the time, and in the Winter Olympics, and this, that, and the other thing, they had the game scheduled at 5 p.m. Eastern time to be played and aired, so obviously it was live. ABC tried to go and talk the Soviets to moving the game so that it would go in prime time. This is the, the game versus the Russians. Uh, so that everybody, because again, Team USA was playing so well and it was mm-hmm. justifiable that everybody wanted to see that game. But the Russians said, no, that the schedule is what it is. Even a man by the name of Bob Iger at the time, speaking of uh, Disney, you know, he's now the uh, chairman and executive or whatever the heck of uh, Disney he is now. He's the CEO. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at the and time, chairman of the board. Yeah. A pretty, pretty uh, powerful guy. (laughs) I I think he owns part of the galaxy at this point. Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is now open at Disneyland Park in California and Walt Disney World Resort. But um, he was involved in trying to convince the Russians to move the game. They even wanted to pay the Russians to do so. And they said, nope, this is the schedule. That's the way it is. And then they're not going to budge. So they had to air the game at five o'clock. And there was also talk, too, which isn't mentioned in this article that I think they wanted to tape delay the game where they were going to tape it and then air it at eight o'clock for the primetime audience to go check it out. So that's just, uh, if, if you're a fan of television history and other things, that's just really quite incredible. Just adds on to the legendary uh, craziness <laughs> and unbelievable stories that just were tied into this one event. So that leads on to fact number four. Fact number four. Showing the U.S.-Soviet Union game live at what would have been 4 p.m., and this article is written in Chicago, 4 p.m. Chicago time, was dismissed as impractical. So again, that, that was like what they were talking about one more time, where they wanted a tape delay and then um, airing the game live at a time that wasn't convenient, where a lot of people were at work or 
kids coming back from school and uh, whatever else going on. Because it was, it was during the week. But, uh, you know, as fate would have it, again, there wasn't the social media that you have now. So there's no way that they could have pulled that off, keeping it a secret without everybody already knowing it. And still, I think had you known it, you would have wanted to watch it anyway. So at the time, it was not aired live. It was aired on a three-hour tape delay. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, I have to um, ask my parents one more time about that. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's just unbelievable. How about that? Uh-huh. <laughs> Fact number five. Fact number five. Al Michaels had to battle noise interference from multiple sources as he called the final minutes of the U.S. victory over the Russians. Yeah, that, that, that's kind of remarkable. I mean, Joe Buck couldn't do it. I, uh, you know, that you're so basically what happened here is that he was calling the game, but, you know, broadcasters wear headphones so they can get cues in their ear from their producers and stuff about, you know, when they're going to commercial or some pertinent fact that they should bring up or really that they can get any piece of information that they need to know while they're, you know, calling the game, concentrating on calling the game. Um, so unfortunately for Al Michaels, as he was calling the game, he had an open line to the production truck and they were enjoying the game a little too much. So while he's calling the game, James, just let's, let's give the people a little demonstration here. Why don't you give me your best play-by-play? Um, Okay, so yeah, the waning seconds of this, this is remarkable amazing. game. Yes, Team USA Woo! is gonna. Do you get believe those in miracles? Ruskies. Yes, get those ruskies. <laughs> yeah, suck it, ready. Ready? What's a ready? I don't know. I'm not good at trash talk. I'm I'm poor at this. <laughs> Speaking, taste of... it, Ivan. That, that, that's better. That, that works. Okay. <laughs> well, the Cincinnati Reds wanted to change. Take their names. your Porsche and shove it. Because of the whole Cold War thing, but that's a that's a story for another time. But yes, exactly right. Not only did Al Michaels have to try and overcome the roar of the crowd that was just losing their minds, and justifiably so, while he's trying to do the play-by-play, yes, he had the, the production truck <laughs> screaming and hollering in his ears as well. <laughs> and that just goes to show you what a professional he is and was, and uh, one of the Speaking of Mount Rushmore's of, of broadcasters, Al Michaels is definitely on that mountain and deservedly so. And he said that he just had to use intense concentration to pull that off. And that was the other thing, too, that uh, he just let it naturally happen where he came up with that. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Play-by-play call, because that's if, if you're a broadcaster out there, especially if you're a sports broadcaster, that's one of the things that you just have to call the game and do it. You can't predetermine what you're going to say because it's just not going to sound right or maybe you'll stumble on it or you it's not hollywood it's live you got to do it once and you got to get it right uh, that's one of the reasons why they just let it flow yeah and I, that's kind of what i was talking about with the impossible dream comes true line i don't know if he came up with that beforehand so i'm not accusing him of anything but that that line feels kind of forced to me it just as as a a you know viewer or listener or what have you that line feels a little too you know artificial to me do you believe in miracles feels like a genuine just like reaction to the situation like a 
a, a genuine astonishment at the gravity and the enormity of the moment. Yeah, that that's probably true. I imagine that because of what he just witnessed and what the whole country witnessed and then having a couple of days before the gold medal game to have that all soak in, I'm sure maybe in the back of his mind it probably popped in or something like that with with the impossible dream or even press conferences and uh that's the mm-hmm. other great thing about coach Brooks was he always protected his players and he was the one that was always in the press conferences to make sure that um you know the press loves to do that the the the, the one thing that they love more than building up a hero is destroying a hero. So he didn't want his, his college kids to get their heads messed up and get any psychological nonsense with uh, post interviews or pre, because that's when all the stupid craziness happens. And it's so much worse now for reasons that we've, we've talked about many times on this podcast. So that's one more thing. So I'm just assuming that probably with all that excitement and things, maybe that's what, what seeped into uh, the back of Al Michaels head, but you never know. Um, yeah, but the the, the, yeah. the impossible dream comes true seems like the kind of lofty rhetoric that you would hear. Well, that you would hear from a broadcaster summarizing a, a grand event. Do you believe in miracles is is for me one step up from can you believe this is actually happening? Mm. This is crazy. It's more organic is the word that I would I would use. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. No, no doubt about that. But uh, so and again, this... no, no disrespect to Al Michaels. No, I'm just no. this is me nitpicking 40 years after the fact. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's so positive and so amazing. I guess you got to try and find something. But that was just interesting how uh, Ruzioni decided to go with that call as opposed to the unbelievable call that'll live forever. And then, uh, you know, anybody of us, any one of us who's strived to be a sports play by play guy, you know, that that's do you believe in miracles? That's that's the gold standard, the call, you know, that's stairway to heaven. You're not going to capture that or, you know, come close to, uh, to equaling that in, in your career as a broadcaster. Well, it could be some of what you were kind of touching on earlier with the Miracle Mets and the, the Miracle team. Like, it could be a pride thing from Mike Ruzioni. You know, he, mm. for most of us, this is like a thing that wasn't supposed to happen and the stars aligned to bring about. For him... You know, he and the rest of his team, it was their sole focus and goal to win that game, to win all of those games, to win that gold medal. They had to believe that they could and would win that medal. So, you know, to call it an impossible dream, I think, is within, you know, the realm of prose and poetry that, you know, you can say, oh, this is this is a dream that, you know, we thought might never happen but we hoped to happen to call it a miracle do you believe in miracles is in a very small way i think or or could be in a small way perceived as a slap in the face to say oh you didn't think we could do this you know you're you're so i can understand from an ego standpoint why he might prefer the other call that's excellent excellent great stuff american rhino i, I you know, I'm I'm sorry to 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 step out and sound like a fan here, but I I really appreciate that as uh, as a sports fan and and as a wannabe broadcaster too. That's very well said. It was your point. I just brought it back around. That's why I thought it was so good. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> no, there no, you no. go. Really, the, the great great stuff there. And so to sum this up, fact number six. Fact number six. <laughs> 
Al Michaels said he never dreamed his quote-unquote miracles line would be remembered the way it has. And there you go. So great yeah, article. Well, yeah, great stuff. 1980 turns 40. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's, <laughs> that's quite a lot to chew on. We've gone very long. And by all rights, we should end it here. But I cannot in good conscience let this go because I feel as if I owe you listener. I feel as if I owe you something here. You know, I want to give you that good stuff here on the podcast. So before we wrap up, I I just want to hit you with a a little bit or a lot of bit really of what has come roaring back this week for our favorite recurring segment this week in gritty this week in gritty. And James, it has been a few weeks since we've had one of these. Gritty, there has been gritty news, kind of tiny bits of gritty news here and there that were not worth a full segment. So I kind of left them. But here I, I feel like I can gather them in amongst the rest. So first off, about a month ago, there was a, a, a video that was posted by, I guess, the Flyers. And it was... Uh, you know how they hate the penguins and take shots at them any time they have a chance. Well, this was a uh, a claymation thing that they put together, reminiscent to me of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, wherein uh, there are a couple of cute little penguins on ice skates and they're they're kind of passing a puck back and forth amongst them when in wanders this giant claymation gritty who is reminiscent of the Bumble who comes in and messily devours the penguins. Yeah, it turned dark. It it got real dark real fast. Where's your con Cornelius and uh, Hermie? Maybe he started with them. No! (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Well, so, uh, yeah, there there was that. Then uh, there, there was a note. If you are a fan of gritty bobbleheads, apparently the Flyers put out a new and unique gritty bobblehead on a monthly basis. And so you can collect the whole set this month. Gritty is astride a Zamboni. <laughs> so, you know, if, if, if you want your own gritty bobblehead, if you've always dreamed of owning gritty driving a Zamboni, then you, you can in fact have that very thing. If you so desire while supplies last one assumes. <laughs> I don't want to think about who he may be driving that Zamboni over, but if you want to entertain such thoughts, be my guest. (laughs) So uh, another thing that Gritty's been up to more recently, more recently, more topical. So this past week was Valentine's Day and Gritty marked the occasion with one of his trademark videos. And in this case, this particular vignette saw Gritty sitting on his couch or a couch. I can't promise it was his. Maybe he broke into somebody's house and sat on a couch, but he was sitting on a couch and uh, surrounding him is bunches of crumpled up tissues and rose petals and a stray empty carton of ice cream. And uh, it seems like Gritty is taking Valentine's Day pretty hard. And uh, so he he's he's kind of, you know, pulling tissues and and I guess blowing his nose and 
and pulling the petals off of a rose. And then suddenly his phone dings and he picks it up and he starts swiping right vigorously. So I don't know what dating app Gritty uses, Tinder or Grinder or some other app that I'm not aware of. Uh, oh, Bumble? Bumble, maybe Bumble, given the claymation connection. That would make sense. But uh, so yeah, I, I've never used any of those, so I don't really know how they work. But um, uh, so, yeah, just just try and get the image of Gritty seeking love on a random phone app on Valentine's Day out of your head. So after that, John Oliver's show uh, last week tonight on HBO came back this week after, uh, you know, their their season finale last uh, fall, I guess. Or yeah, fall. And among other things, he did a little bit about uh, Gritty's recent run in with the law. And James, you'll be happy to know that John Oliver is with you. He All thinks right. that Gritty definitely did it and got away with murder or at least punching a 13 year old child in the back. <laughs> assault. He got away with assault, actually, is, is, mm. is the implication. OK, so, uh, you know, you <laughs> you two are simpatico on that one. I appreciate it. Um, Thank you. Yeah, sure. There was Star Wars night or, or there will be Star Wars night. Uh, there was the promotion of Star Wars night that the Flyers released and to promote their upcoming Star Wars night promotion, which uh, features a T-shirt giveaway with the, the Flyers logo with the Millennium Falcon incorporated into it and a poster of Gritty holding a lightsaber. They released a video, a short video which featured Gritty in a lightsaber duel on the ice at Wells Fargo against Kylo Ren. What? Gritty, gritty dressed as like yeah. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh. Or old Luke Skywalker. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> the, the blue lightsaber, if you were interested. Yeah, thank you. Um, mm -hmm. I'm just curious if uh, the, his opposition was played by a young boy or a young girl, because he seems to like to bully those... Uh, no, no, it, it was an adult-sized person. I mean, okay. Kylo Ren is all dressed in, like, black robes and his face is obscured, so I, I couldn't say for sure, but it, it, it seemed like an adult male. Any cakes flying through the air? No, no, not in this particular video. Okay. Although the force is strong with Gritty, so he could have, like, force-pushed a cake into this guy's face off, off camera. But uh, something else that Gritty is known for is hijinks at Wells Fargo during a game. And this week was no different. Uh, yesterday, I believe, as we record, or, or probably the day before, since these things tend to take some time to, to surface. But he was in the stands, uh, I guess, during a stoppage. And uh, Sweet Caroline was playing in the arena. And Gritty decides to turn around and bend over at the camera and start twerking along to sweet Caroline. Oh, and, and, and you know how, um, uh, women of a certain disposition like to wear pants with words on the bottom, like juicy and pink and such. Well, mm -hmm. his pants say gritty on, oh. on his posterior his ample, ample posterior. Mm, glad I didn't see that. Yes, you are. 
<laughs> yes. Yes, you are. It was funny, actually. There was, uh, during, while this was going on, you can see, I assume this guy was a real fan and not a plant. You can see a Flyer fan descending the stairs behind him and, like, coming over to where he is to kind of be like, in the camera. And from off screen, one of Gritty's Secret Service goons leans in, grabs him by the jersey, and yanks him off screen. Which, you know, was it, it, it was cartoonish enough to almost seem staged, but the guy looked obnoxious enough to be legit. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and, and finally, James, the last bit of gritty news I have this week is something I, I cannot believe that this escaped my notice for this long since we are on the far side of the all-star break at this point. But Something new this year at the Wells Fargo Center. We talked previously about the uh, Rage Room at Wells Fargo, but that is not the only new promotion that Gritty is involved with at Wells Fargo. James, Gritty has... um, Okay, let me lay this out. So at Wells Fargo this year, new for the 2019-2020 season... They have what's called the Gritty Command Center, wherein you can step into Gritty's lair and receive a Gritty makeover. Oh, no. James, it's, it's, they have options for you. They give you options. There's an entire menu of makeover items that you can subject yourself to for varying prices. I will give you some of the highlights here. So at the $10 level, which is the cheapest level, one of the things that you can do is the face full of grit option, wherein you can get blasted in the face with grit powder. People would pay 10 to, okay, okay. Yeah, apparently so. I mean, it's, it's there, so it's an option. There is the Gritty's Choice, which is the $20 option, which... I will read the caption, hand over the fate of your fandom to the truest flyer fan and let yourself be styled by chance, styled by Gritty's choice. So I guess they will do something to you. You will have no control over what that something is, but it will be somewhat Gritty adjacent. One assumes. All for $20. My goodness. At the $35 level, there is the paint me like one of your gritties option, which is the ultimate declaration of fandom body paint. It's not for the faint of heart. It's for the full of heart. It's for the daring committed fan. So I assume they will cover your entire exposed body in orange gritty paint. Oh, God. For $35. But James... If that's not enough, you can go full orange for $50. Are you ready to go all the way, James, to show your fandom to its fullest? If you answered yes, then the full orange is for you. Orange hair, orange beard, orange shirt, orange bandana, orange gritty fanny pack. (laughs) Orange you lucky. (laughs) I added that last one. that's, That's not... That, you know, Philly, you can have that one if you want it. That's that, that was, that's yours gratis. That was too clever for them. So well done. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then, James, there what? is the 
the ultimate option. What? Uh, <laughs> the I can't believe it's not gritty. Limited time slots. They only have a handful of these, James. Oh, wait. So, you know, be sure to reserve yours if you want this one. For $100, a Ben Franklin gets you <coughs> the full gritty. James, have you seen gritty and said, wow, I want to look just like that? Well, choose this and you can actually say, wow, I look just like that. For a C note, James, you can become gritty. That means you put... Some might consider that a good deal. Uh... There are no pictures. I can't say how authentic this is. I, I... We have to take that one on faith. Fair enough. There are some other stuff that I missed uh, at the $10 level, which involves hair dye and sparkles and face paint. And, but really, that's, that, that stuff pales in comparison to what I mentioned. Indeed. So, James, if, if you, if you want to get your grit on, just head over to Wells Fargo and, and, you know, bring your wallet. Not even if I lose a bet. <laughs> All right, well, well, James, I can't speak to that. I, I promise I will not compel you to any such bets. Thank you. Any such wagers. Um, but uh, really, all I can say to that is that has been This Week in Gritty. This Week in Gritty. And mercifully, that is going to be the end of this extra supersized... Hit the deck. So, without further ado, last minute remaining in the podcast. Dear listener, I want to thank you for joining us for this miracle retrospective and this horrible, horrible, gritty turn. I, 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 I thank you for sticking with us here to the end of the podcast. I want you to know that you are truly appreciated by James and myself. We really, we genuinely want you to continue to enjoy the podcast. So anything we can do to improve this product, please let us know. You can do so by emailing us at hitthedeck at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at hitthedeckpod. You can get us on Facebook and Instagram at hitthedeck. And you can, of course, subscribe to our YouTube channel. And we will thank you for listening. And we will thank you for giving us feedback on the show. And we will also thank Anthony Sajazi for providing us with music. If you would like to continue to always get hit the deck on a regular, steady, reliable basis, there's nothing to do but subscribe. You only got a bloody subscribe to the podcast and you'll make sure you get it every time we drop an episode. So you can do that on Apple podcast or Podbean or Stitcher or we're now, of course, as a reminder, on Spotify and Spreaker and a whole bunch of other services that I don't remember, but we applied to and got approved for. So we're really, you will be hard-pressed to find a spot where we are not. And if you do find that magical unicorn, let us know, and we will do our level best to get there. So with, with all that being said, James, is there anything you would care to add here at the end? Yeah, thanks. Just real quick, uh, check out Columbus Deck Hockey Association, the Charlotte Street Hockey League, the Raleigh Street Hockey League, the VAR Hockey League, the DCSH, the DCHL, and Deck Superstars. And please donate to LaGrange Hockey and follow M Powerplay. And thanks for listening. Thank you, James. And of course, dear listener, we will thank you, as we always do at this point in the podcast. 
two, remember kindly that whether you are remembering history or critiquing perfection, whether you are buying a ticket to a once in a lifetime event or throwing your money straight down the gritty hole, regardless of what you find yourself doing, we would always encourage you to remember it's deck hockey. Don't be that guy. Thanks everybody. I have gritty for days this this week, so Okay, fantastic. That that's cool okay. to know. Have gritty in our back pocket. <laughs> oh, I I don't want him anywhere near my back pocket. <laughs> no.